This is Bulls Beat on Bulls Unlimited. Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. This thing still works? It does. Good. Back to the beat. It's been a couple weeks. We took the holidays off. In fact, the last Bulls Beat was before the Boca Bowl. No, we're not going to start off with the full recap because it has been a couple weeks, but we'll sort of catch up on what's happened in brief and look forward to what's coming up. Next week, we'll be talking about track and field. The following week, tennis, as those sports are about to get going. Of course, plenty of basketball. We'll split the show into three segments. We'll give you a women's basketball catch-up with a few highlights of what's happened in the last three games since we last gave you a Bulls beat and a preview of tonight's game as they are back at it after starting conference play over the weekend with a victory against SMU. The Bulls are hosting Charlotte for the 49ers first, of course, American Athletic Conference road game. We'll also sort of give you the brief outlook of the conference in both men's and women's basketball. Our third segment will be a catch-up with the men's team, which hasn't lost since we last did a show on what would have been December the 17th. We also have the baseball preseason polls for the conference to tell you about. Remember when we said that the men's and women's golf teams were probably going to be in the top 40, near the top 25, but the golf rankings had a little bit of a quirk to them and changing systems, and we finally got golf rankings to pass along to you. We'll do that here in a little bit. I did want to play a couple of sound bites from Alex Golish. Of course, we're not going to do highlights of the Boca Raton Bowl. You can catch those, by the way, a full half hour of highlights from the radio side on the podcast page. Go to Upon Further Review. That was Jim Lauk narrating what he saw from Boca. And, of course, that included the calls of he, Sam Barrington, and Jim Lauk of the 45 nothing route, which turns out is the biggest shutout in bowl history. Georgia beating Florida State was one of the bigger margins, 63-3. to But as far as an actual shutout, yeah, the Bulls can lay roof claim to the record there. Of course, plenty of records. And just posted yesterday, actually, an article on GoUSFBulls.com kind of reminding you of all of the records. It does make you chuckle. Actually, a little bit of anger in there that Byron Brown was actually not named even honorable mention. As we say here on the program, I'd like to honorably mention Byron Brown there. It's been done. But for whatever reason, the conference coaches didn't see fit to do it. The 17th best offense in the entire country. The 45 nothing was the largest bowl victory margin in South Florida history. No surprise there. Most offensive plays, which was no surprise either, since that was number one in the country as far as plays per game. And, of course, Byron Brown setting touchdown, passing, and yardage, and completion percentage marks. Again, all those categories were pretty important and Byron Brown hit them all. And Sean Atkins became the first Bulls receiver to have more than 1,000 yards in a season with 1,054. Those two individuals, along with Day-Day Evans, who had the big defensive game at the Boca Raton Bowl, were sitting next to Coach Alex Golish when he was getting a little emotional and summing up the importance of what took place a couple weeks back in Boca. It's a bunch of really, really resilient dudes, and every single guy sitting up here chose to stay. When that... <laughs> There was a time where it wasn't cool to stay. To those guys that left, wish them nothing but the best, but gosh darn it, I told these guys I will have their back forever because they believed in us and we believed in them. We have real belief and real faith in something in life, man. 
you can go do whatever you want. I told these guys last night, and I told them again today, don't you ever let a man tell you what you can and can't do. And seven wins is, is not the pinnacle of college football, but it's certainly a foundation for something elite. And we will win championships in Tampa. And we'll win championships at South Florida. I can't wait to get there whenever we're ready for that moment. But there have been times throughout the season where we haven't been ready for the moment. But tonight against a good ACC team, we were. These are some of the toughest, smartest football players I've ever been around, but they're elite human beings as well. He was really excellent in communicating after games on our Bullseye Coaches show whenever the plight of guys like those that we mentioned. But I also love these comments about how, you know, we kind of take it for granted. And we're seeing it with men's basketball, by the way, lately, where they're winning games they used to lose. We'll talk more about men's basketball in our third block. But a big part of what happened this last season, and yeah, they had some slip-ups, UAB and FAU and UTSA to some degree come to mind. Do you see that UTSA quarterback Frank Harris is just not even going to try the professional career? He's been in college for seven years, and that was enough for him. He's going to move on. But those three games were tough for the Bulls, but so many positive memories that it took belief to create the ability to have them. And boy, did they do that. I made a comment last spring, and I said, balls don't bounce your way, because I, I kept hearing that gosh darn Florida game a year ago where the field goal snap got botched, and I just kept hearing, man, like, man, the ball just didn't bounce our way. Ball didn't bounce our way. 48 yards from Schrader. Kick is away. It's a low-line drive, and he missed it. A heartbreaker with 23 seconds to go. They had second and five from the 19. The low snap took him out of everything. And Spencer Schrader, a reliable a kicker, as you'll find in the country, hit a low-line drive that just trickled off to the right side. It actually had a, a small shot of sneaking in, but at the last minute, it, it, the draw, like a golf shot, it, it faded to the right. I learned a long time ago, balls don't bounce your way or not your way. You make balls bounce. And I, was, I told the guys, you, you, our process is what makes the ball bounce your way. And the Navy game, Trammell scooped and scored. Tight formation for Navy. No wide receivers. It's a snake. It's a fumble. Ball is lying on the ground. And it's picked up by Trammell Logan. And he is gone. Touchdown, South Florida. Boy, oh boy, the Bulls are up two scores. The quarterback sneak blows up for Navy. The ball was just lying on the ground waiting for somebody in a white jersey to pick it up. And Tramel Logan said, that's me. Bounce right to him. And I walked, walked around the corner. The D-line is always the last group out of the locker room, inevitably. And they're sitting there having a ball after the Navy game, which was the first away game we've won in conference in God knows how long. And Jason Bond, who who was out for the year at that point with with an injury, and Jason Bond sitting there talking to these guys, and I come around the corner, go take a shower, and he said, "I mean, you know that that Golish was right, man. When he said that, I mean, you do make balls bounce your way, and if that's the lesson we learned that we make balls bounce our way, you know, and then a few weeks later against Temple, Tremel." Picks off a ball. Picked off at the line of scrimmage. It's Tramel Logan, and he's going to take it in for a score. Touchdown, South Florida. Tramel Logan showing great hands, able to make that interception, and the Bulls extend their lead on the pick six. 
Well, how about the big man getting it done? You look at the jugs chart from that week, Tramel was on the jugs twice. It's called process. And that's what I'm so proud of, that we're not perfect. We're not all 100% bought into it. But gosh darn it, had it had enough that we were able to keep playing. And so that's what I mean by process. That's what I'm proud of. We got a long, long, long way to go, but we're in a good place that we've laid a foundation. You know, as I was wanting to put some of those sound bites in there, and yes, the Gator game was particularly painful at the end last year, but it does remind me, that's what I meant to put on our podcast page, and we'll do it here before the end of the morning, the year in review, which was basically about nine minutes of highlights from start to finish from the radio side. Also, since we last left the air, of course, it was the day before the game. If you want to go to GoUSFBulls.com, you can get all of the names of the 48th highest-ranked recruiting class in the country. That would be Alex Skolish's second full recruiting class. And, of course, after establishing what the Bulls were, and it was funny to hear him talk about certain players, one particularly from the Tampa Bay area who didn't even want to hear from the Bulls this time last year, but they got his attention. And I also love the fact that another Grammatica kicker, Nico, from Cambridge is coming here. Love the fact that they got a four-star tight end from Georgia to flip from Tennessee to the Bulls. That is 6'6", 225-pounder Jonathan Eccles out of the IMG Academy. And definitely love hearing what he had to say about the Exume twin brothers down from Miami, Chanelson and Denelson, who play on opposite sides of the ball, specifically on the line. The twins, yeah, man, um, C-note, D-note, um the Exume twins, you guys will love these guys. Um, they've got personality for days. I, I'm not sure um, in terms of package deal. Uh, we recruited both of them like crazy. I, I think for them both, they both were going to go try to make the best decisions for themselves. Um, I think in the back of our minds, we'd always hoped that they wanted to stay together because we thought the world of both of them. But they each individually made their own decisions. I'm really proud of, of both of them making a decision on their own. Now, it certainly helped when Chanelson committed and then every, uh, just about every morning when I would hit him up, say, man, are you recruiting your brother? Like, if you can't recruit your own brother, the guy lives literally in the same room as you, then you're a terrible recruiter. And so I, I think I shamed him and made him feel like if he was going to be a bad recruiter, then... Uh, it was going to be a bad deal. So he was a really good recruiter. Um, and and then when Denelson uh, made his decision, he made it about three weeks ago um, and then um, actually surprised Coach KP down in Miami um, that first week of December. We went down there and he surprised KP. Those guys fell in love with, with KP and Coach Orlando. I could definitely see that Kevin Patrick would have an influence on a young man that plays the defensive line's desire to come here. So again, all 25 names of that class that was announced on the early signing day up at GoUSFBulls.com. And add another name in the last week, a transfer portal name who had a big breakout year receiving at Purdue. He's been off injured. In fact, he only played in six games this year, but had 25 catches, which by far was a career high. Abdur Ramin Yassin is now officially a bull, and I'm sure they'll continue to monitor the transfer portal. If you didn't see Michael Dukes is into it. Brian Batty, who of course left for Auburn last year, is back into the portal. So many names. And yes, the college football season has one game that counts left in it. And while the games were outstanding, the four-team playoff, in other words, has been just fine 
I am really more excited about next year and getting to the 12-team field, not just from the Bulls' perspective. We can dream earlier than normal about getting into the postseason, but that Georgia win against FSU, it, I can't help but look at the fact that Baltimore, which, you know, just dropped 56 on the Dolphins and has the best record in the league, happens to be playing Pittsburgh in the regular season finale. The Steelers, a team that has to win to make the playoff. Hmm. Best team, Georgia, playing against a team that's good, that has to win, Alabama, and Georgia losing, knocked it out of the playoffs. Do you think if the Steelers beat the Ravens this week, then Baltimore shouldn't be in the NFL playoffs? My point is, and here I am ironically stumping for an SEC team that didn't make the field from that perspective, but also, of course, from the expanded access perspective of the non-quote-unquote traditional power teams. The playoff expansion needs to happen, and if you disagree, guess what? You're not allowed to watch the NFL playoffs until they get to the Final Four. Anyway, there's a lot going on elsewhere with South Florida. We mentioned the baseball team is predicted to finish. Well, we will tell you exactly where. We'll also give you some golf rankings, something we haven't been able to do yet this year, and then get into basketball, previewing tonight's women's game against Charlotte in our second segment and wrapping it up in our third segment with some catch-up highlights and a lot of them from the men's basketball side of things and tell you about their game Thursday night. Stay tuned. More Bulls Beat coming your way. Back to the beat. Bulls Beat continues with Derek Sharp. This show didn't just take a couple weeks off. We also took the holiday versions off of Bulls Beat Ahead with Michael Kelly, but I want you to know that that's going to return next Tuesday. And Bullseye will transition from being a football-based show to a basketball-based show. We'll basically alternate with Amir Abdul-Rahim and Jose Fernandez week to week, and we expect that to return next Thursday. We'll get to basketball here in just a couple of minutes. Baseball picked to finish fifth in the AAC. East Carolina Pirates, who have won the thing the last couple years and are always among the top teams in the country. The unanimous choice, when you see the Bulls get one first place vote, the 10 coaches vote on this, and you can't vote for yourself. So we know what Coach Godwin at East Carolina had as the top team in his ballot, which was South Florida. Five of the 16 first-team preseason players are Bulls. Returning sluggers Drew Brutcher, Bobby Bozer, and Eric Snow, the freshman shortstop, along with Ben Rosenblum, who got the call at DH, and Jack Siebert on the pitching staff. We'll talk a lot more about baseball as we get closer to the season, but we're, well, about a month and a half from the season beginning, and I tell you, looking at the schedule now that we have softball laid in there as well, we are going to have a busy February and March with the crossovers of those seasons and basketball season still going on at the same time, and we hope a extended basketball season, namely a postseason. NCAA tournament looks like for the women, they are going to have to win the conference. More on that in a second. For the men, at least we can talk in terms of that being a possibility. Definitely wanted to mention this. The new college golf rankings are out. Without getting into the whole reason why it took so long for golf rankings to happen, the reason we wanted to see them was because both the men of Steve Bradley and the women of Erica Brennan had such a great fall season, and the rankings bear that out. The women are ranked 33rd. Remember, last year was their first at-large bid to the NCAA tournament in more than a decade, and they were exactly on the bubble in that 50-60 range. Well, to be 33rd, that's where you want to be, right behind Florida State and Alabama. There's a couple non-power conference teams in there, but not many. I see San Jose State's 19th and Pepperdine is 20. Those would be the other two, the only two, ahead of the Bulls, not from a power league. 
and the men. Congratulations. This is big because last year was a down for them, a rare time they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Well, they have set themselves up if they can get the job done in the spring because they are ranked 37th. Spikemark.com is where you want to go for those rankings. Well, if you look at the rankings for the women's basketball team in the past, their non-conference success has set them up for the fact that they don't have to win the conference tournament to make the NCAA. Well, that's not going to be the case this year. They definitely have the teams on their schedule for another solid computer ranking, but didn't beat any of them, unfortunately. We're talking about the three top ten teams, NC State, Texas, and Baylor. Did you see those teams played last weekend? Unfortunately, Texas, All-American guard Rory Harmon. It's not just the Bulls that are having tough injury luck. Harmon tore her ACL in practice, and she is done for the year. And then they had to play Baylor the next game, and the Bears got them. That still stands as the only defeat that any of those three highly ranked teams that the Bulls played has suffered. And it's because they played each other, Texas and Baylor. But the women, if you look at it, are outside the top 100. In fact, the American is likely only to have its conference tournament champion get in unless someone goes on a big-time run because the highest-ranked team right now is East Carolina at 73. Then it's North Texas at 85, Rice at 97, the Bulls at 109. They did play Baylor in West Palm Beach. And, well, Baylor's outstanding. Bulls did actually a pretty good job of hanging on to the ball, but Baylor's so proficient on offense. They're among the nation's leaders in assists and scoring and margin. The Bulls held them below all of those marks and still lost. It was 37-17 to 17 at halftime before the Bulls put on a very dramatic flurry. Shot clock winds down, forcing an off-balance jumper, and the three misses, in fact, was an air ball. And now the Bulls down 17 from the other way. Blasic open three, looks good, is Nikki Blasic, and all of a sudden, the score doesn't look so bad. It's 44-30, and Baylor calls a timeout. With 3.41 to go in the third quarter, Bulls making a charge. Andrews is the shooter, Edwards is the point guard. She's got to put it up here, drives to the lane, tough shot, no good. Carla Brito gets the rebound, the Bulls look to run the other way. Now Levy goes the other way, Danny Gonzalez with the bounce pass. Levy to her left hand, scores! It's a 12-point game, what a rally for South Florida. This game looked over, folks. Baylor can't hit a shot all of a sudden. And now they don't look so free-flowing on offense, and they've got their players out there, believe me. Let's see who steps up. Edwards wants to drive around Brito. Good defense, and it's a shorter player. Bad pass, that's off of Baylor. That's Bulls basketball. This is amazing. Romy Levy, who had scored a career high the day before in a blowout win, 85-49 against IUPUI, 23 points, scored 13 in that one to earn all-conference honors. And by the way, she definitely deserved to be on the weekly honor roll last week, but wasn't. However, Victoria Blasig, who's getting plenty of attention, had 16 in this game. Her threes got them back into it, but then she was trying to get loose for another one, pushed off, and that was the moment of the game. You just heard it got to 12 points. Blasig's offensive foul was her fourth, and Jose Fernandez kept her in the game, which I agreed with, but Baylor, again, very well-coached, smart team, just went right at her, and she could not attempt to play defense, or she would have got her fifth foul, so Baylor basically scored four straight trips down the court going right at Blasic, and they got it back up. And unfortunately, the final margin, 73-50, makes it sound like it was never close. It was actually just a 14-point game with only three minutes to go, and Baylor likes to put on 12 nothing runs. But it showed you that the Bulls, when they put it together, are a dangerous team, and they put it together to good effect on Saturday 
in beating SMU. Vlasic was a part of putting that one away. There's Alvarez, wide open. Brito finds her, and Maria Alvarez finds the bucket. Man, did she and the Bulls need that. It is back to a nine-point lead. Finally. <laughs> that was Finally. What everybody, see her me going. included, thought. Vlasic doesn't pull the trigger, wants to step back. Now does. Drops it in. Vicky Blasic. She and Alvarez were a combined one for 12 on threes. They both made threes in the last two possessions. And what do you know? It's a 10 point lead. Woo, thank gosh. Oh, There's a flop by Jones. No call. Alvarez gets the open three. Take that. Jones fell down, hoping for something. Alvarez gave her something. Three of these, and it's 60 to 49. Uh, that is so lovely to see that happen. You mean when the other team flops yes. and it doesn't get called and, then and we you get a drill three. a three in yes. their face? Do yes. you like that as much Love as that. I do? Love it. Yeah, I don't mind it whatsoever. Now Amira Abdurrahim lays it up softly but off the rim. Yells into her hands and this is a big sequence for the Bulls. They can slow it down oh, if they want or have Vlasic put up an immediate three and knock it down. The threes are falling with regularity all of a sudden. That's number nine for the Bulls and their largest lead at 63 to 49. Blasic doesn't know from running the clock down. 11 of her 16 in the fourth quarter, and that quarter basically got her freshman of the week for the third time in the conference, and Eveline Lutcha-Shipholt. Boy, what a key factor she was. She's been struggling from the floor of the Bulls, starting center to the tune of 38% from the floor, but went seven from, t but in this one, seven for 10, 14 points. Bulls got near double-doubles from her. She had eight rebounds, and Carla Brito had the 11 rebounds and eight points. Romy Levy added eight. Danny Gonzalez, seven off the bench. She's averaged eight across the last three games since we last left. And I think important that I just pointed out three post players because the Bulls also have backed the services of Emma Johansson after a month away due to an ankle injury. She actually only played a few minutes against SMU, so let's not forget about her. And the Bulls won that one 70 to 61, so they're nine and five, welcoming in Charlotte tonight. Charlotte just took down North Texas the team that was in possession of the best record in the conference. The 49ers are 8-5, and five, haven't played, nor has anybody in the conference, nearly the same schedule that the Bulls had, even though SMU did play, we should mention, Baylor and Colorado. Charlotte did open with NC State, lost by 41. Other losses by 28 to West Virginia, closer to Southern Illinois, VCU, and then got blown out recently by Davidson. So you like the Bulls' chances against a 49ers team that a couple years ago was in the NCAA tournament and is used to making the postseason, mostly WNIT. They had their school's second all-time leading scorer two years ago, Octavia Jet Wilson, but she has since graduated, so the 49ers slipped to below 500 last year. Although their top player from last year, Daisa Lawrence, a 5'8 guard who averaged nearly 17 a game, is right back at it this season leading the way. Another guard like SMU's Tierra Young that likes to get to the line, she is... 21st in the country and made free throws. She's 60 for 72. Got on the honor roll last week for scoring 23 in that win against North Texas and has a 32 spot against Southern Illinois, averaging 16.7 points per game. Then they have another double-figure score in 6-2 forward Tracy Houston. She averages 11.5 points and 5 rebounds. We'll give you more on Charlotte and, of course, on the Bulls tonight when we hit the air at 645. Yours truly alongside Bridget Miranda. And then tomorrow night, the men are back at it, looking for, yes, a sixth win in a row. They'll start off conference play against Temple. 
We'll play for you how they last left off in entertaining and dramatic fashion and preview tonight's game when Bulls Beat continues. More Bulls Beat now. Once again, here's Derek Sharp. Again, we'll be on the air tonight, 645 Bulls and Charlotte from the Yingling Center. We head to New Orleans on Friday for a Saturday afternoon contest. Tulsa has the best overall record in the conference at 12-3. Then it's UAB at 10-3. East Carolina, which looks tough again. Last year they were the conference tournament champs at 8-4. The Bulls mathematically have the fourth best record. It's kind of pointless to mention conference records at this time, although Tulsa, for the record, did go to 2-0 with the win last night. And it was a blowout of Tulane, which is off to an 0-2 start. And again, that's who the Bulls play this weekend. The conference slate started on Tuesday night on the men's side. FAU got a test. FAU got stunned this past weekend by FGCU, and East Carolina had them for a while before the Owls win by 15. UAB at UTSA, a two-point victory. And SMU, which low-key is the third-best team in the conference via the computers. FAU and Memphis both look great. Tigers are 15th in both the voted-on polls. And after them, it's SMU ranked 45th in the latest net. Then there's a drop-off to 94, and that's, you know, within range of where the Bulls are. The Bulls are right now in the middle of the conference, and that's not a bad place to be going into conference play, and certainly an excellent chance to take down a Temple team on Thursday night. You are hip to the podcast page where not only do we post this show and other shows like Bulls Speed Ahead and Bullseye after the fact, but sometimes we post extended highlights and When we're off the air, in between show days, sometimes we'll pop up some stuff like the full highlight reel of the Bulls beating Albany. That was the day after the Boca Raton Bowl, so we definitely wanted to post that. And if you'd like, we posted a full medley of all 10 three-point shots. That would be a record-breaking 10.5 that the Bulls made and needed to make on Friday night against Alabama State because the Hornets came to play. They had played a tough schedule where... Six of their seven losses were to three SEC teams and the likes of Southern Cal, Iowa, and Memphis. So they were not intimidated by the Bulls, and it showed. It was 17-8, to eight, but Chris Youngblood and Selton Miguel just put on a show. It was something to watch. Four threes each in the first half. Again, 10 as a team. Bulls really didn't have much business being up 41-33 at the half, so it really felt secure. Now, we'll get to the good stuff here in a second, but you could only laugh at how the second half started. Took a while for things to get going. And I thought Jim Lightfall and Joey Johnston captured that beautifully here. Picked up by Alabama State. Octave, long range three, misses. Rebound Kobe Knox. No one can score. What was going on in those locker rooms? Still lead by eight, though. There's an air ball by Alabama State, and the Bulls get the rebound. Chris Youngblood into the far corner. Kobe Knox fires, misses. Rebound, Ocon. Jim, what's going on? I don't know. I, I don't even know if these are the same two teams that came out. Octave with a three ball. That misses. Three minutes gone. The two teams are combined 0 for 10. Everyone in the building is like, are we at the right game? Yeah. Well, the Hornets woke up first to the tune of the first eight points, and we were tied. It's almost like that's what it took to wake up the Bulls because they scored on their next possession. More than five minutes elapsed in the second half, and then it picked up substantially. The three-pointers continued. Brandon Stroud, who was 1 for 11 coming in, made a couple of big ones. The free throws were astoundingly essential, 12 for 12 in the second half, mostly. Chris Youngblood, who rightly, with a career-high 26, was named to the weekly honor roll, and Jaden Reed, who rightly was named Freshman of the Week. 
Here's some of how it went down late in the game on Friday night. Corey Walker directing traffic, looking for Youngblood. He's open. He catches right side, fires a three. There it is! He's got a half dozen. He matches his career-high six made threes in a game against Eastern Kentucky a couple of years ago. And Chris Youngblood doing everything he can tonight. Man, Chris Youngblood having one of those nights. He's got 22 points, six of eight from three. He is scorching, scorching red hot. Bulls have pushed this thing back to a six-point lead thanks to Youngblood. 12.50 to go. Smith trying to turn the corner on Reed. Rejected underneath by Youngblood, his third block of the game. Chris Youngblood had four blocks coming into this game today. He has three in this one. How many guys make six three-pointers and block three shots in the game? Yeah. I just want to know that. Yeah. To Youngblood. Here's Selton Miguel, left wing. They close on him quickly. A couple of jab steps. Gets to the free throw line. Right side pass. In the corner it goes. Stroud loads up a three in the corner. Got it! Wow. Ties the school record with a 14th and gives the Bulls the lead. What a clutch shot by Brandon Stroud in the corner. He buried it. Looked good doing it. Bulls up 67-66. Stroud has eight points in the game. Under two minutes to go. Bulls are now 11 of 11 from the free throw line in the second half. Youngblood with a chance to make it a perfect 12. Youngblood has a career-high 25 points. Looking to build on it. Second free throw. Why not? Spring music, baby. 73-70 with 11 seconds to go. Alabama State gets it into Madlock. Three-point lead. Madlock, right side pass to Smith in the corner. Wide open is Hines. Fires a three. Misses. Here's the battle for the rebound. Controlled by Alabama State. Kicked out. Good if it goes. Beats the buzzer. Missed the three. The Bulls hang on. The Bulls hang on and win 73-70. to What a game. Indeed it was. Incidentally, Youngblood takes the team lead in scoring from Selton Miguel. 14.7 points. Miguel at 14.3. He was nearing 50% for the year from three until he got cold in that second half and is only shooting 42.7% from three, making 53 of them. Jaden Reed's updated assist to turnover at 47 to 14. Now, can they do it in conference? We'll find out tonight. The 7 and 4 Bulls against a Temple team that got blown out a couple times in Hawaii by. A really strong Nevada along with Old Dominion before grabbing a win against Portland. They do have a common opponent with the Bulls. They beat Albany by five. They have a triple overtime win against LaSalle. Losses to good teams Ole Miss and St. Joe's Ole Miss by just one point. Their top scorer has been Hasir Miller, a junior guard who averages more than 17 a game despite just six against Portland. 27 threes. And he plays 37 minutes a game. And generally, they get a lot of points off their bench, especially Jaleel White, who's been around there forever. Going into Hawaii, they had three non-starters that were averaging double figures. Ironically, in their lone win, they got no bench points. And White was injured in that game. So keep an eye on if number two suits up Thursday night. Another name and stat to remember is 6'4", senior guard Matteo Piccarelli. If you were at that Bama State game, you know that three times the Bulls fouled a three-point shooter. He leads the nation in getting fouled on threes slash selling it. That's number 34. Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnson will be on the air at 6.30 Thursday night for that one. And we'll sum it up for you on Friday's Bulls Beat. But that'll do it for the Wednesday show. I'm Derek Sharp.